You're listening to Local Motion, KVNF's weekly public affairs program. I'm your host, Lisa Young. On this week's edition, we take a look at a low-tech tool used to help restore wetlands in the arid mountain west. We'll hear from Cheryl Swillick, water resource specialist with the Upper Gunnison River Water Conservancy. All right, Cheryl, tell us a little bit about the Conservancy District. My understanding is that it is a special district that was voted on, I think, back in 1959. Tell me a little bit about why voters in Gunnison area thought it was so important to have a special district around uh, conservation and water. So, as you said, we were voted into existence. And so a lot of people sometimes think that we're a nonprofit. We're not. We're actually local government. And the reason that that was voted in in 1959 is because at that time there was a lot of threats from um, Eastern Slope Front Range interests that wanted to come over, take water from the Upper Gunnison and pipe it over the mountains uh, to the Front Range. And so people at that time really wanted and realized that they really wanted to keep water here in the upper Gunnison Basin and and protect their water resources. And so that's why uh, the upper Gunnison came into existence. Uh, Tell me a little bit about uh, where the upper Gunnison Basin is. I know there's a lot of tributaries to the Gunnison River, but kind of give me a little of a fill of the, you know, geographical location here. Yeah, so we are in... I guess you'd say the on the western slope of Continental Divide and really kind of just in the south central area of Colorado. And I, I like to call the Upper Gunnison Basin the water towers of the west. We are one of the most important tributaries of the Colorado River. And, you know, we have a, a huge snowpack that is generated uh, here in in the Upper Gunnison Basin that helps to feed the Colorado River um, at its uh, conjunction in Grand Junction, hence the name. Um, it contributes 40% of the volume of the Colorado River there in Grand Junction. So pretty important tributary for the entire Colorado River system. Cheryl, tell me a little bit about your job. Uh, you're managing uh, the wet meadow and uh, riparian restoration program. Tell me a little bit about what that is and what that means. Yeah, so I stepped in about two years ago to help coordinate the wet meadow and riparian restoration effort here in the Upper Gunnison Basin. You know, it was something that um, had been started by the Nature Conservancy in uh, 2010. Um, That was really kicked off by them coming in and working with the Gunnison Climate Working Group. They were trying to figure out how to address issues of climate change, things like aridification and a disappearing snowpack, um, seeing extreme runoff events like um, super extreme monsoons. And they, they knew that these things were going to be happening. And here we are, and we are experiencing those things that they were predicting over 10 years ago. And they were looking at ways to address that uh, vulnerability, come up with adaptation strategies to, um, to become more resilient as a community. And uh, as part of their climate vulnerability report that they came out with with the Nature Conservancy in 2010, they went through and they looked at different 
ecosystems. And one of those was freshwater ecosystems. And the freshwater ecosystem, they looked at lakes and reservoirs, high mountain rivers, streams. And what really rose to the top was these groundwater fed wetlands, these montane groundwater fed uh, wetlands that were just below 9,000 feet. And as part of that, uh, Gunnison sage-grouse, which is listed as an endangered species, just showing that the Gunnison sage-grouse utilize these wet meadows as well. Uh, so th just that combination of freshwater ecosystems being really vulnerable to climate change, Gunnison sage-grouse being really, climate, really vulnerable to climate change, really kind of came to this, okay, we need to find ways to protect what we have and then restore what we can. And uh, here they say that we've lost 52% of our wetlands um, across the state of Colorado. That um, average is about 50%. We lost about 50% of our wetlands. That is a ratification. That is the land drying out. And so for us here, really looking at how we can um, preserve, just protect what we, we still do have that other, at least here, that other 48% of wetlands that we do have. And so the Nature Conservancy worked with um, different folks across um, federal, state, private, local, tribal agencies, BLM, CPW, to come up with some restoration strategies. And Nate Seward, he is the conservation wildlife biologist at Colorado Parks and Wildlife. He had heard of this gentleman named Bill Zedike. And Bill Zedike had been a forester. He'd been uh, working in restoration for years in the Southwest. And Nate had gone to one of his talks and was like, let's bring this guy up to the Upper Gunnison Basin and see what he can do here. And uh, Bill, Bill had stumbled across some ancestral Puebloan rock structures, erosion control structures that um, folks um, from the, um, the Chaco culture that they had, they were utilizing these rock structures to help with erosion control and helping keep the groundwater table up and they were still functioning. And so he brought that idea with him to Gunnison, um, uh, the Zuni Bowl and the One Rock Dam and the Media Luna. He, uh, the Zuni Bowl particularly, I believe, was something that he had stumbled across in, in Mesa Verde. And so he brought that idea along with a few other um, designs of his own that he kind of built off of that idea of using these rock structures and not just throwing rocks in the channel, but really, um, really thoughtfully placing rocks to arrest and stop erosion um, and to keep that groundwater table up. And so the Nature Conservancy worked with Bill and others uh, around the area um, for about five years. They had a five-year project and then they passed it off to the Upper Gunnison River Water Conservancy District, which is my agency. In 2017, they were looking for a local partner to take it on and the Upper Gunnison stepped in and took it on. Um, they had a contractor that was working as the coordinator. They went through um, a couple different people that were working as that contractor. And then they decided a couple years ago that they wanted to bring it in-house as a staff member. And um, at, that's when I joined at that time was a couple years ago. And so for me, my role is really working with all of these different partners federal, state, tribal, local, private partners to uh, coordinate getting these rock structures, both um, going out and doing site assessments on the land, 
um, and uh, planning, doing some site design and layout and working with contractors to do that, restoration specialists to go out and do that, and then getting rocks and materials delivered to those sites and coordinate volunteers and other workers. Here now is the voice of Bill Zedike explaining the project in the Gunnison sage-grouse area. This audio is provided by a video from the Quivera Coalition. So the purpose of this restoration project is to correct uh, the downward trend in that habitat type due to uh, erosion and drying out of the valley bottoms. We're using small handmade structures to resaturate the soils and stimulate the growth of that kind of vegetation and therefore increase the available habitat. Many of the projects that I've designed, such as this one, are designed so that they can be installed by hand. Streams fix themselves with sticks and stones, so we can make uh, handmade structures using sticks and stones with a little imagination that accelerate the, the recovery of incised stream channels or gullies. Here we have a, a low rock terrace that we call a media luna or a half moon because it's built on the contour, has a half moon shape. And its purpose is to disperse water from the eroded stream system back across the entire surface of this former wet meadow. If we look down valley, we can see a plume of grass that's delineated by pink flags. Those pink flags show the edge of the current wetland. And with this structure, we intend to disperse flow across the whole valley bottom and convert it all back to wetland or wet meadow. The original project was a couple of private ranches there in Gunnison County. Sounds like you're starting to to have more interest. Can you tell me a little bit about anything that's currently going on? Do you have any private land or public land partnerships where you're doing something similar to what you're doing? And are you using the Z-Dyke structures for that work? Again, here's Cheryl Swillick. So as you mentioned, there's been a couple ranches that kicked off the work in 2010, And since then, we've worked with Bureau of Land Management, U.S. Forest Service, Colorado Parks and Wildlife to do this work um, on on federal and state land as well. And so I, I mentioned that the Nature Conservancy kicked all of this work off. And part of that effort, they had a GIS specialist, Teresa Chapman, do a lot of modeling. And in her modeling, she identified its um, above 270 high priority stream reaches. It's a lot. In the upper Gunnison Basin, we have, I think it's over 4,100 stream stream miles. It's a lot of miles to go look at and assess. And so with this modeling effort, we were able to identify 272 high priority stream miles. Over the last 10 years, we've worked in 43 of those. So we've done a lot of amazing, important work, but we also have a lot of work ahead of us, and that's just high priority stream miles. And that that has been done on uh, on both public and private lands. And um, the last couple of years, we've been working on it's uh, some 
tribal land. It's not a reservation. It is just land that is owned by the tribe since it is ancestral homeland for the Ute Mountain Ute. We've been working with them the last couple of years to do some restoration restoration treatments as well. And yes, on all of those, we've been utilizing those Z-Dyke style rock structures, the Zuni Bowl and the One Rock Dam and the Media Luna. I'm kind of curious about how excited you are about this, the low-tech solutions that are available now and that people are getting into it. I understand a lot of the work is doing, being done by volunteers, and there's, there's, it's not really high science, but you need to have somebody who can read the land. But what, what is it really like on the ground? Give me a feel for people out in the field once they understand the work that they're going to be involved in and, and what it is they're going to be doing. What's it really like out in the field? You know, we hear about climate change and drought and species extinction, and it's very daunting. It's daunting for our young people. It's daunting for our old people. And to be able to get out onto the land and get your hands dirty and make a difference immediately is so, so gratifying. And, you know, I I know some folks are like, oh, that's just, you know, like (laughs) helping to allay, you know, climate change guilt and maybe in a way but at the same time doing this work it immediately impacts the landscape and and i love it for that it is one of those ways that people can get their hands dirty and do something that really does make a difference that will help with climate change and it does help with um you know protecting wildlife and it helps with agronomic um, communities like here in the Gunnison Basin, we have a lot of agriculture and it's, you know, really important for forage for livestock when we're able to um, get these folks out there and put these rock structures in, you know, they're helping to improve uh, those agricultural livelihoods as well. Um, and it's it's so fun when you get people out on the land and, um, you know, get your, your folks that have got... Um, Oh gosh, uh, you know, they're fire lining rocks and making jokes and you know, just enjoying being outside and working together and doing something to make a difference. And it it's such a special, cool thing to experience. And, you know, volunteers are an amazing way to get um, engaged, to get a taste of what we're doing. Uh, this last year, we also piloted a multi-jurisdictional conservation crew that is based here in Gunnison just with this idea of how do we scale up? How do we get all of this work done? You know, not just wet meadows restoration, but other um, sagebrush uh, preservation and restoration activities as well. How do we do this? And so we were able to work together with all of these different agencies to put together a conservation crew that is you know, focused daily um, on, on doing this restoration work um, in the sagebrush biome. And so there's a lot of different ways to get involved with it, you know, whether it's volunteering or making a career out of it or doing some seasonal work. And um, it's, to me, it's just such an exciting thing to to get people um, engaged and working on the landscape. If you've just joined us, this is Local Motion. I'm your host, Lisa Young. Today, we're talking with Cheryl Swillick, Water Resource Specialist with the Upper Gunnison River Water Conservancy. Next up, we talk a little bit about the importance of focusing on our watersheds and so much more. You know, that was actually the 
dream of John Wesley Powell. He was the one-armed gentleman that went floating down the Grand Canyon. Um, and he was sent by the U.S. government to uh, map part of the West and look at water resources. And um, when he reported back, he had a map where he was like, you know, instead of doing grids and blocks, we should divide up the West in watersheds. And that is not something we ended up doing. Now we've got lots of, you know, squares and rectangles and other odd shapes. But that's something that's really cool about our conservancy district or conservation districts. Typically, they really do follow um, a watershed. And I would love for people to better understand that, you know, it's just like, what is a con conservancy district and a conservation district? And, you know, what are they working to do? And in a, in a way, it's almost like county government for water resources. And so to me, it's, it's something that is, it's so critical. And um, I'm sorry, I got off on all on my John Wesley Powell thing. What was the rest of your question? No, I thought you did a great job. It was really just about needing to have a, a greater emphasis on our watersheds instead of looking at the county lines. And so whatever affects the upper Gunnison Basin totally. affects what happens down through here through Delta County. What I what I was going to say about that, too, though, is, you know, the Gunnison Sage Rouse, it doesn't know boundary lines. Elk doesn't know boundary lines. Neither does water. Water doesn't know that there's a boundary and so it makes sense to be able to manage it in in a way that views it holistically or to have that landscape scale view and that is something that we're really trying to work on here in the upper Gunnison and you talk to folks that first started working on this project in 2010 and just fell in love with how collaborative it was because they could see, you know, this can't just be this shotgun approach. We have to be strategic. And that means thinking about uh, the stream and from top to bottom, not just this little piece over here and this other little piece because everything is connected. We get a lot of reporting on the Colorado River, and generally speaking, it's really kind of a dire feeling like, oh, my God, we're, you know, we're running out of water. And uh, a lot of the reporting is really fantastic, too. But I'm looking more to try to find these kind of stories. Okay, yeah, the Colorado River, it all feels so big and so overwhelming. But now we can, what can we do on a low-tech level, you know, kind of like what we're talking about in our streams and restoring the, you know, the wetlands and the meadows, which is huge. So I guess, you know, maybe address the fact that, yes, there's this big issue with the Colorado River, but, you know, that's not everything and what it is to actually be able to go uh, maybe on a smaller scale to act, but it actually affects the Colorado River. And I'll say this about the Colorado River. You know, I think that there is a lot of times this idea that, oh, we're we're running out of water. There's not enough water. And yes, we you know we do see a decrease in in our snowpack, but we also have these really big years. And it's I think it's not so much a question of the the water that is there or the snowpack is there. I mean it is we have to live within uh, the the means that Mother Nature's Mother Nature has provided us with, but it also is about how we're exactly that how we're using it. You know, and a lot of times, um, you know, Upper Colorado River Basin, we are we are living within our means. And a lot of times, and I realize this is a political statement, but it is also true, is we're seeing a lot of overuse in some of the lower basin. 
And, and so then it just becomes a question of, you know, making sure that we're living within our means in the Colorado River Basin. And that's what I'll say about that. You know, they also say that water issues are, are typically local. And, you know, what, it, what is going on here um, or what is going on in Africa with water, like, it is very difficult to try and fix a water issue in Africa from here, right? And so all, all water issues are typically local, and it means having local solutions to that. And so here um, in the upper Gunnison Basin, we, you know, live in Sagebrush Step. And Sagebrush Step is something that is actually all across the West, um, you know, Utah, Wyoming, um, Washington, Oregon is a Sagebrush Step. And because of past land use, like old wagon roads that weren't well planned because of trailing, uh, ungulate trailing, um, we end up with these degraded systems that have become incised. And there is a way for us to treat that. And it is with these Edike style rock structures. And we have proven success of that. And what's so exciting to see is that that is moving, you know, from the upper Gunnison Basin where it was really kicked off here in 2010. It's been successful. Um, and then really seeing it starting to take off in other places, you know, Steamboat Springs, seeing it take off in Montana and Idaho and Utah and these other places. And it's very exciting because it, that's part of what our, our resilience is, um, you know, here in the Gunnison Basin, we, like I said, we have lost 52% of our wetlands. And so as a way to address that, um, it's, it's really about preserving what we have left and how do we, how do we do that? How do we keep our land from drying out? How do we keep, you know, this land just drying up and blowing away? And, and a big part of that means preserving, protecting, um, and in some in some cases, we're storing these wetlands. Um, and low tech PBR is such a great way of doing that. As you mentioned, it's it's low tech, it's low cost because it's low tech. Um, you know, a lot of times you can get out with some really high tech, and sometimes it's needed depending on what the issue is and what's going on, especially in like bigger river systems. Sometimes you need to break out the Tonka toys. Sometimes you need those bigger pieces of equipment. But, you know, in, in an area like this that is, we've got a lot of little tributaries, it does mean using smaller scale, but then that can have such an impact, uh, you know, as, as tributaries, if we're able to uh, restore each of these little tributaries, it, that all adds up over time. It's like a savings account, you know? It, it may not be $1,000 all at once, but, you know, we're going to save 10 here and 10 there, and, and it adds up over time, and that makes a huge difference, and that's what we have seen here in, in the Upper Gunnison Basin with this wet meadows restoration effort. Is it PBR? Yeah, low-tech PBR, low-tech um, low process-based restoration. And okay. so what a lot of this is doing is just trying to kickstart a lot of those natural processes. And it's something where if left on its own, it could eventually find a new base level and it'll eventually heal over time. But we're talking geologic time. And so we don't really have that. Um, like I said, because of past land use, we've exacerbated some of these issues. And so this is really just trying to help 
either stop or slow um, some of those unnatural erosional processes. Some erosion is natural and some of it is, is unnatural. And if we can stop that um, and, and bring back those natural processes, help kickstart those natural processes to, for the land to help heal itself, that's what we really want. Is there any possibility in any way to, to gain back the 50% or whatever that's been lost, or is that just lost and now it's just a matter of trying to hold on to what's left? I mean, we've, we've done uh, preservation and protection projects, but we've also done some restoration projects. True restoration is when you are bringing it back, and we do have instances of that. You know, you, you can bring some of these areas back. It really depends on that reading of the landscape. You know, how far gone is it? Um, what is the cost benefit? You know, how much is it going to cost? How much of an intensive treatment is it going to take to to restore an area? And, you know, if it's something where you can get in there and do a little bit of rock work or a little bit of dirt work, and that can help restore an acre, well, hey, that's it's the same thing as that savings account. At least we've restored this one acre. And for us here in the Upper Gunnison Basin, we've, um, we've improved, let's say it's over 2,100 um, acres of sage-grouse habitat. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, that, that is terrific. To get more information on the Z-Dyke structures being used in Delta County, I spoke with rancher Robbie LaValle about what they're doing on their property. And so on your ranch, you do have these structures, is that correct? We do have a few of them on ours, uh, in addition to what the BLM is doing. What kind of structures did you guys have put in? Were they rock, uh, a combination? Primarily rock, okay. yeah. yeah. Primarily rock. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like they're effective for what they wanted to do as far as slowing down the streams and capturing more of the water and maybe increasing the wetlands? Well, it certainly slows down the water, especially on the roads that have become incised. It does slow that down and then allows for that silt uh, to start to fill in some of those deeper, deeper ruts. That certainly has worked. Uh, sometimes, because the rocks are right in the road, then you see uh, on the BLM land, individuals will you know, basically drive around them. And so in some areas, you're creating another road. So I, you know, I know long term, the BLM is looking at, you know, is there a better way to better places to put them than strictly on roads? So Robbie, anybody that's thinking of similar conservation um, efforts, would you recommend the Z-Dyke structures as a low tech way to go to at least maybe start stopping some of the erosion and slowing down the water and increasing wetlands? It certainly is one tool, especially in some of those deeper uh, channeled areas um, where you're wanting to basically spread water out. It it certainly has helped in, in those areas. And then, of course, you know, the silt follows and then that's where you're able to, to make that structure last even longer. So, yes, it it is working to spread water out. Anything else that you would add on the conservation side or uh, using these structures I think there's about a dozen out there that we are trying to see, um, you know, that we've put in to, to basically uh, uh, increase those wet meadow areas and, and to 
really slowed down some water and in some steeper slopes. So we put about a dozen on our side. The BLM has put in well over, I'm thinking 70 to to 80 uh, on their side. And so, you know, we're just, we're just kind of looking and making sure long-term that's, it's going to accomplish what we need to without causing a, another issue somewhere else. So. Yeah. I heard some, you know, some of the folks I've talked to said it's, the kind of thing where you don't, it's not a one and done thing. You put them right. in and you see how they're doing and you tweak it as you need to. So I'm, I'm taking it that that's something you guys do. You you see where the water's going, you see how it's working and if it's being effective and then you can make changes accordingly. Right. And because again, it's just, you know, rock and, and mud and that. And so it's easy to to adapt and put it somewhere else that may be more effective. You're not tearing out, you know, major infrastructure. So Yeah, I kind of like that. And I think a lot of people do that it's low tech and it's easy to, to move around. You're not doing major bulldozer type work. Now back to our conversation with Cheryl Swillick. Um, Cheryl, is there anything, you know, that we didn't talk about or something you really, really want people to know? Um, restoration, conservation, anything that's just like, wow, you know, I want people to know this. Do you have anything like that for me today? No, we're, we're so excited for this conservation crew to have started up and, um, you know, even just sharing about the high priority stream miles and the need to scale up our efforts. And, you know, that's just here in the Gunnison Basin and, you know, wanting that to, to spread across the West because, I mean, in the face of climate change, you know, it's not something that's going to happen out there anymore. It is happening now. We are experiencing it. Special thanks to Cheryl Swillick, the Quivira Coalition, and Robbie LaValle for contributing to KVNF's Local Motion. I'm Lisa Young. <laughs>